Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theater Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Apoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theater Company, and this is Theater Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 18 of Theater Forward. So this week's conversation is about the most produced plays and playwrights of the upcoming season. As many of you listening probably know, Theater Communications Group annually collects season listings from hundreds of American theater companies and then compiles lists of the most produced plays and the most produced authors, which are then published by American Theater Magazine. And so that list came out fairly recently. And we thought we would just kind of talk about the things that um, that we're learning and, from looking at this list and what our thoughts are. So uh, we'll start by, I'll just run through the list of these top mm-hmm. 10 most produced plays. And I will start by saying it's not 10, it's actually 14 because there were a lot of ties this season. So the top 14 produced plays in America for this 1920 season. Um, number one is A Doll's House Part Two by Lucas Nath. Then The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Simon Stevens. Every Brilliant Thing by Duncan McMillan with Johnny Donahoe. Bright Star by Steve Martin and Edie Brickell. Pipeline by Dominique Marceau. Tiny Beautiful Things by Nia Vardalos, Admissions by Joshua Harmon, Cambodian Rock Band by Lauren Yee, The Children by Lucy Kirkwood, The Great Leap by Lauren Yee, Murder on the Orient Express by Ken Ludwig from, of course, Agatha Christie, Schoolgirls or the African Mean Girls Play by Jocelyn Bio, The Thanksgiving Play by Larissa Fasthorse, and The Wolves by Sarah DeLapp. So quite a list. What leaps out at you guys when you look at that? Lots of women playwrights. Mm-hmm. More um, than men. More than men on this. Um, there's some names that um, are always there um, for the most part, but lots of new plays this season. Um, there are a lot of uh, new names. I mean, schoolgirls, uh, Thanksgiving play, tiny, beautiful things. Um, I think that's the first time they've been on this list. And then there's um, one of the plays that we're doing, Every Brilliant Thing, Mm -hmm. which is uh, very exciting to see that on the list. Well, and Every Brilliant Thing is one of a number of plays. I mean, I think there are some thematic clusters here. That, along with The Wolves, A Curious Incident, and Tiny Beautiful Things, deals with uh, issues uh, of, of mental um, uh, illness or or depression and anxiety. There's a number of plays on this list that deal with schools. Um, Pipeline, uh, The Schoolgirls, which is a wonderful play. Uh, uh, Admissions uh, and the Thanksgiving play. And uh, Larissa Fasthorse is the first representative of the Native American community to appear on this list, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. very exciting. Um, so and, and also there's a there's a number of plays that toggle between um, between timelines. Um, so both of the Lauren Yee plays here, The Great Leap uh, and Cambodian Rock Band, which is so awesome. I, I wish we were going to see that here, but it's a difficult play to produce. You not only need a, a large Asian American cast, which in Wisconsin is more of a challenge. You need people who are really good musicians. Um, 
playing this amazing music. But both of those toggle back and forth between a historical event, 1989 in China, um, and the Khmer Rouge uh, period in Cambodia, and something later. Um, Bright Star is completely about um, a toggling between two different timelines that links up the, the stories. Doll's House 2, you've got the return of Nora after uh, 15 years, and The Children um, deals with a toggling between two different timelines. So even when history isn't the ostensible topic of these plays, the historical background is really looming in, in a lot of them. And I find that fascinating given the moment we're in with our own burdens of history that we're, we're wrestling with as we lay down this podcast. That's that's right. I, I love looking at this list and, and you know, having read most of these plays, it's mm-hmm. one of the joys of working for a company that does mostly contemporary work is that, you know, when, when these lists of new these. plays, yes, we know these <laughs> plays. Um, we have one that we're doing um, this season. Uh, spoiler, one play on this list will be seen next season at Forward Theater. I won't tell you which one. <laughs> Not till the spring. You're but. about to get pestered, though, because you let that out. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, you just have to be patient for that information. But... Um, but they're really many of the plays on this list we have seriously considered yes. um, and, and may yet do in future seasons because uh, there's just some really terrific work. Very excited um, about the beautiful Doll's House Part 2 that um, is at the top of the list. Our friends at American Players Theater are doing that in their November slot this season with some really marvelous actors. So that should be a great production. And um yeah, we, we, we love these writers, so so it's an exciting list. One thing I should um, make sure people know is that Shakespeare and Christmas Carol are not on this list. They, they kind of, they, <laughs> TCG says lots and lots and lots and lots of people are doing this, so they are not counted on the yes. most produced plays, but we know Christmas Carol. They would kick butt. (laughs) Exactly. If they were listed, that would be the big one. Thank you for adding that. Um, I have to say there's something comforting to me in in some odd way that murder on the Orient Express is also on this list. Like, I think we, we, we still need those old chestnuts and it's, it makes me happy that that, that is also happening. Sure. But it also makes me really excited because when I was looking at these lists, you know, 10 years or 15 years ago, um, I feel like there were a lot more of what we would call chestnuts mm-hmm. making up Agreed. the top ten, 10 list. And so I look at a list like this and I think it speaks to the health and the dynamism and the the bravery of the regional theater movement here in America, because this tells me that companies are really open to doing much newer plays uh, and by less established playwrights. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of um, unfamiliar playwright names for the general public on this list, and yet they're still among the top most produced plays in the country. And I think that shows um, tremendous health um, and vibrancy in the regional theater movement. So that that is probably my favorite thing about lists like this. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I think, you know, you know, in terms of the classics, one of the reasons I think that's true is because with classic writers that you t- tend to see more of a spread. So if you look at the American theater, top, they also put out a list at the same time, which maybe we can chat about, of top playwrights. Tennessee Williams and August Wilson have both been on that list each of the last six years. But unless something like Menagerie 
um, uh, or maybe Fences is going to creep onto the playlist, you're not going to see one individual play. And so, you know, I am thrilled that we're seeing all these new plays, but I'm also a little worried that it's the same plays. You know, I mean, Dolls House 2 was number one last year as well with 27 productions, 15 this year. That's great. Lucas Nath is awesome. But guess what? There's a lot of other really great Lucas Nath plays that are not being done. And I think there is a an unhealthy correlation between the number of plays that are in the top 10 list, or as Jen said, top 14, and the number of people who then translate onto the best playwright or top playwright production list, because it's only that one play right. that's being produced and therefore landing them on the list of top produced well, playwrights. Well, I, 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 I agree that that can be a cause for concern, but I also think that... Um, it's partly, too, when you're running uh, a regional theater about introducing your audience to these playwrights that they may not be familiar with. And once you've done that, then it sort of opens up the gates to do more of their work. And so, you know, I'm going to use Lauren Gunderson. Spoiler alert. She's at the top of the list for the most <laughs> produced playwrights. You know, Forward was the first company in Wisconsin to do one of her plays. And we did her play Silent Sky back in 2015. And it was an enormous hit. And that made it really easy for us. You know, two seasons later, we programmed another one of her plays, I and You. We will certainly be doing her work again soon. And, and her work is being done all over Wisconsin now because companies and audiences got introduced to this new emerging playwright and realized, wow, everybody really loves this work. And so right now we might see, well, it's the same play of Lucas Nath's that was at the top this year and last, but now companies, if they have a success with Doll's House Part Two, might feel emboldened to now do another one of his plays in, in a coming season. And that's, hope. we can only hope. So, so <laughs> right. that's my being maybe a little more optimistic in seeing the same, um, information because hopefully you build relationships between your audiences and these exciting playwrights. And then that allows you to continue bringing their work back and back. Um, but we should, before we go further, maybe read the list of the top 20, or in this case, because of ties, 22 <laughs> most produced playwrights of the 1920 season. Julie, you want to give us yeah, that list? There's, um, here we go. Uh, Lauren Gunderson um, with 33, I'd like to point out. <laughs> um, but that's 12 co-writing credits. So mm -hmm. she is prolific. Yep. Uh, Lauren Yee, Lucas Nath, Tennessee Williams, Dominique Morisseau, August Wilson, Karen Zacharias, uh, Ken Ludwig, Joshua Harmon, Neil Simon, Simon Stevens, Margot Malcon, uh, Lynn Nottage, Duncan McMillan, Kate Hamill, Chiara Alegria Udes, Paula Vogel, Sarah Rule, Jen Silverman, Lucy Kirkwood, Steve Martin, and Stephen Dietz. There are some great names on that list, and sure it just cracks are. me up. There's a lot of, you know, Lauren Gunderson and Lauren Yee are at the top, and we've got Steve Martin and Stephen Dietz at the bottom, and <laughs> Neil Simon and Simon Stevens next to each other in the middle. I just, those are the little things that amuse me when I hear a list like that out loud. Yeah, really good um, mix of men and women again. Mm -hmm. Some good representation on this list and the other by writers of color. That feels like a really encouraging trend in our business. Again, you know, I mean, not to be the naysayer, but to be the naysayer, I mean, <laughs> you're seeing the same names again and again and again. Nine of the top 10 in last year's list um, are on this year's list. 
Um, eight of the top 20 in this year's list have been on the list three years in a row. Now, I'm all good with that when that's August Wilson and uh, Tennessee Williams and Lauren Gunderson, because Lauren Gunderson will one day be talked about, in my opinion, in the same breath as Williams and Miller and O'Neill and Wilson and Shepard. Um, she's just that good and she deserves where she is on this list. But, you know, where is um, where is Annie Baker, who's been on this list once in the last yeah. six years? You know, where's Terrell Alvin McCraney, who has been on this list only once in the last six years? Where's Amy Hertz? Amy Hertz, who's only yep. been on this list once in the last six years. I mean, and then you have British playwrights like Debbie Tucker Green and Alice Birch, who aren't done here at all. Yes, Simon Stevens is on the list again, but it is only, and here we're not seeing a branch out from the one play. It's because of Curious Incident, which yeah. is an adaptation. This is a man with a brilliant body of work. I mean, Forward did one of his shows last year, Heisenberg, which is he's not getting the exposure in this country that he deserves. And I worry that we're just, you know, there's a herd mentality. Mentality, um, among regional theaters where they're just going to the same names again and again and again and the same plays again and again and again. And I'm thrilled we're getting to see these plays. I just wish we were getting to see more variety, both in terms of playwrights uh, and in terms of the plays being produced. Yeah. And so now you get to play the naysayer and then I play the. But here's the <laughs> other side of that voice. When I look at this and this this comes specifically from my position, you know, running a company here in Madison, Wisconsin, where the vast majority of our audience does not go to New York or even to Chicago to see plays. They get their plays by going to see theater locally. And I think a lot of these plays that we see on these top 10 lists, and I'm thinking not just about this year's list, but the last few, are plays that are part of the national conversation in the theater right now. And I want, I want my audience to get to be a part of that conversation and not have to go to New York to see these new plays. And so, yes, it means that lots and lots of theaters are doing a play like Pipeline, where they could be doing some Pipeline and some Skeleton Crew and some Paradise Blue and others of Morisot's beautiful plays. But on the other hand, I also love that now there's so many communities across the country that have had a chance to see Pipeline and now are all part of the conversation around that play. Just use that one as an example. Um, if it if it if plays aren't on this top 10 list, it means they're only being done in, in pockets around the country. And maybe a lot of areas don't ever have a chance to see this play, or maybe they'll only have a chance when five years from now, the rights become available and a community theater can do them and a lot fewer people see it. So that's, that's what I think of as, as the, the flip side. If this was a really conservative list of plays and it was all revivals of 20, 30, 50 year old plays, I would feel very differently, but because these are, exciting and bold titles. I actually love that they're getting this many productions because it means lots of people can participate in the conversation around them. Well, if it was, if, if we were doing Tennessee Williams from 50 years ago every year, I would be okay with that. But I, <laughs> but I, take, your, I, I take your larger point. That's true. I mean, I do think I, I want to encourage, um, you know, our, our listeners to think about the possibility, you know, Jen's right. I mean, if you can get people interested in and involved with some of these playwrights, Awesome. But then explore some of the other plays. So to take Lucas Snaith, since I've been talking about him as an example, Goodman just did an incredible production of his latest uh, new play called Dana H. It's a story um, true. Well, we don't know how much. we think it's true. But in part, one of the things that's going on in the play is that he's playing with this uh, story of his mother's kidnapping. Um, it opened in L.A., came to the Goodman, and it's headed to New York, where you can see it at the uh, Vineyard Theater in the spring 
um, of next year with the same actor. It's a single person uh, show, Deirdre O'Connell, in all three productions. Or to take another example, Simon Stevens, um, wonderful uh, uh, playwright. Steep Theater has sort of adopted him in Chicago as as their own. I mean, so you have five productions of his plays um, over the last uh, several years. He's now an artistic associate there. He's not being done this year, but Steve is doing a play by another person on this list, Lucy Kirkwood, that doesn't get done called Mosquitoes, um, which involves particle physics and two sisters who don't get along. <laughs> uh, and then a third example for Closer to Home, to, to in deference to Jen's point, you know, Kate Hamill is on this list, whose adaptations have just rocked the country. We're not seeing them here. But you will get a chance to see Sense and Sensibility, uh, her adaptation of a Jane Austen novel, which is the one that really put her on on the map. Um, And it's going to be directed by Madison's own Jess Lanius um, at uh, UW Stevens Point uh, opening in late February. Mm. It's a great and exciting list. And I and I do hope that um, we continue to see new names on this on a regular basis, because I agree with you, Jen. It shows the vibrancy of theater, not just in New York, but this is this is a regional. This is a countrywide list. Yeah. And uh that makes me really happy to see there are some chestnuts. There are some um, I'm hoping Tennessee Williams never falls off this list, but I find it really exciting that there are always new names. Yeah. Every year there are five new names on this list. And that to me says um, that we're a vibrant, robust, willing to take chances um, community and that I'm I'm happy about that. Yeah. And I love that this is reflective, as you say, of the whole country. There's a lot of sort of end of year lists that get published um, by by critics and theater journalists, Mm -hmm. but almost exclusively working, you know, on the East Coast and specifically in New York that will talk about the best work that's been happening or the most popular work that's been happening over the prior year. But of, you know, by definition, it has a, a strong New York focus mm-hmm. and and doesn't really provide a picture of what's happening across the country. And right. this this list is it's not um, a value judgment. It's a you know, quantity judgment. But these are the plays that our colleagues and we are choosing to produce. And it really um, it really does paint a picture of what's happening across the country. Can right. you riff on that last point for a second and talk about St. Lauren? Um, I mean, Lauren Gunderson, three years ago, finished <laughs> first on this list. Two years ago, finished second on this list. This year, she's finishing first on this list again. Why do you guys think she's not being done in New York? I mean, she's had one production, I and You, which did not do well. Uh, in New York because the critics killed it. Why is her work, which is so wonderful and which there is such a breadth of it right now, not being done there? I have I have a, a sort of two part theory and it is only a theory. Um, so qualifying it that way. Um, I think part one of the theory is that she, in addition to being a brilliant playwright, is brilliant at cultivating relationships with potential producers and collaborators around the country. I mean, when I reached out to her, when we wanted to do Silent Sky and really people had not heard of her much, um, her, the quickness of her response, um, the, the depth with which she engaged with me, someone she had not heard of prior to that reach out, um, was incredibly impressive. And it made us sort of colleagues out of the gate and knowing her, I feel confident that that is her approach with everybody she deals with. So she generated a tremendous amount of loyalty, um, and feeling of partnership, 
um, with companies across the country. I think that's part of the reason you see Mm -hmm. her work being done everywhere. And when you've done one Lauren Gunderson work and seen how it impacts your audience and how great she is to work with, you just want to keep doing more of them. She's like the potato chip of American. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah, that's, there's your headline. Um, but so I think that's part one. I think, I think regional theaters love her for, for both of those reasons. Mm-hmm. And I say this as somebody who spent over a dozen years living in New York and working in Broadway and off-Broadway theater. I'm not sure that the New York theater likes being told by other people that there's something out there that wasn't discovered in New York. That would, I think that might be a little Mm -hmm. piece of it. She got so popular so fast and without any sort of stamp of approval from the New York theater world. And I just wonder if that doesn't create a little sense of, well, you're not for us. We're not for you. And I could be completely, you know, just projecting some of the conversations that I was a part of um, back in the day onto that. But I think that might be a little part of it. Wanted to discover their own. Yeah. And she is already discovered. Right. Well, I mean, to to invoke another adage, since I've just given Hmm. the potato jingle, you snooze, you lose, New York, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a loss. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think we have thoroughly and delightfully discussed um, these two lists. Um, So much fun to think about all this theater happening across the country. Um, And I think we'll say that that's it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jenna Hoff-Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden. And you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Forward Theater, as always, with an E-R. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And be sure to leave a review. We're grateful to have you listening. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.